Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Arthur Companies podcast. This is your host, Patrick Erickson, and I'm here today with Kevin Carl, our general manager. Kevin, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, doing pretty well. Uh, nice sunny day in beautiful Arthur, North Dakota, and yeah. uh, ran the forecast for the 14 days out, so we're hoping, fingers crossed, yeah. maybe excited, maybe not. Yeah, we missed a rain. We missed a rain on Sunday. Uh, rained actually west of Bismarck. And I've been telling everyone I've talked to this week, if it can rain in Dickinson, it can rain where we're sitting today. Yeah. You know, last year we were just starting to plant. Last couple of years we were just kind of starting this time of the year, so it wouldn't have mattered so much. But most of our crop's in now, and, and we're feeling good about moisture here today, but we have some some spots in our trade area that just desperately, desperately need it. So, I mean, I'm hitting refresh on every weather map I can see and picking and choosing <laughs> the ones I think work. Yeah. And, and you're at that point of the season, and it's early. I mean, usually this is us on August trying to get in the rain on our soybeans, but today it is just – yeah, I mean, everybody's got their fingers crossed and saying extra prayers at church. Yeah, absolutely. It'll come. It'll come. But we're not here to talk about the weather. First, but I guess before we do talk about uh, this this recent quarterly stocks report, let's, uh, let's back up here a little bit, Kevin. R- remind everyone who you are, where you're from. I'm Kevin Carl. I'm the general manager of the Arthur Companies, and I am from Bismarck, North Dakota originally. But I office in Arthur every day, and... Uh, I've been with the company for just about five years, coming on five years here this month. Yeah, cool. And and Bismarck High, Bismarck Century, Bismarck Legacy, where's your alma mater? I'm a Bismarck High kid. Yeah, Southside Bismarck. Um, I think everybody from McIntosh County like settled in South Bismarck. So everybody around us were, like knew my mom growing up and all went to the same church. And it was it was kind of a small town within a big town. But now when I go back, I, I, I don't even recognize the town anymore. It's and I don't know town. anybody anymore. It's very, very weird. Yep. It's a different town. I, uh, having not been raised in Jamestown, but now living in Jamestown and uh, competing in the West Division, at least for in the WDA, it's uh, I've, I've gotten to know the Bismarck culture just a little bit. So, I think Jamestown was in the EDC when I was in high school. They were, but yep. so that they were. That's different. But yep, yep. it's uh, now now uh, we're the farthest east town in the West Division. So in WDA, so there well, are in my future sometime in long trips to Williston that I. For uh, for a Tuesday night game, four hour drive. Not looking forward to that. There but was always a joke that no matter where you're at, it's a long drive to Williston. <laughs> <laughs> Having lived in Williston, that is an absolute fact. Yep, yep. All right. Well, we're not here to talk North Dakota geography. We're here to talk grain stocks. Uh, it is uh, Wednesday, the twelfth of May, um, and I know that because it's my daughter's birthday. So um, happy birthday, Hannah. Happy birthday, Hannah. Yeah, it's the 12th of May, and, and some our quarterly stocks came out this morning. So, Kevin, give us your take on that. So, when we came out quarterly stocks, um, well, well, it would be uh, monthly. We didn't have quarterly stocks today. I'm sorry. We, had, we, we, we did have oh, our, our WASI report, which is our, our world agricultural. It's at supply demand. Okay. Um, we do focus a lot on we're using those quarterly stocks numbers from March. But what we're looking at is we're looking at what supply demand changed during the month and this time of the year in the, in the North American crop, we're really looking at how is demand stacking up with expectations. So export sales, feed and residual grind on corn, um, and then on the wheat milling and exporting, we're kind of trying to true those numbers up and trying to figure out, okay, where are we going to get to at year end? Also, one of the major parts of this time of the year is we have a growing season in South America. So that second crop, Safrina Brazilian corn crop, right. right now it's hot and dry. You're seeing a lot of articles about it. USDA updated their estimates today on what they thought that crop was going to look like. They're a direct competitor with us in the Western Corn Belt for, for exports. And right now, 
if you look at how we're going to get a tighter carry out in the U.S., exports is a major, major part and question on what we do this summer um, um, for that carryout. So every bushel right now that gets burnt up in, in Goyos in Brazil is a bushel that we might be able to ship off the USP and W, which then reduces our carryout a little bit more, which gives a little more um, increase in price and, and a little more corn we need to produce this next year. So all of it kind of intertwines. It's a giant spider web. But uh, for the most part today, it, it was a mostly non-eventful report, to be honest. And usually these WASDE reports aren't that, you know, there's trade estimates ahead of time. But there were some interesting things in there, for sure. Sure. Yeah, monthly, not much can change. Uh, not much can change. No, uh, and unfortunately, you know, we always look for trying to see big swings. But they have a pretty close idea on where they're going to end up. Most of the time. So right? were, were there any surprises today? I think the major surprise was we got 102 million metric tons was the total Brazilian corn crop production. So that number is lower than when we were last time. I think we were 106 million metric tons last month. So we're reducing that crop size based on the dryness. Yep. Um, looking through the USA reports, they have aerial maps showing lack of rainfall. They have vegetative maps from satellites showing less vegetative index. Um, really, it's a... It's a much smaller crop. I mean, 4 million metric tons is a lot. Yeah. Some private estimates are saying it should be under 100. Okay. USDA is generally slow to change that. You know, the US or the, the Brazilian USDA, they call it CONAB, they're still saying it's 106 million metric tons. Now, to put this in context, last year their crop, which was an all-time record, was 102 million metric tons. So right now we've just reduced a big crop down to a big crop. A big crop. There are parts of it, but... You know, again, if you're looking on Twitter and you see a pineapple corn, that happens every year in McHenry County, too. We could take a sure picture does. of that and put it out. That's yeah. not representative of a whole crop. But right. there are spots where there are issues, and demand is good everywhere in the world. We're reopening. Things are happening again. We're feeding a lot of livestock, which is our biggest customer. If you're a corn farmer, your yeah. biggest customer is an animal. So we're doing those things. People are uh, back buying meat. Consumption's good, inflation's up. So overall, I don't think that, I think they're a little light on their demand numbers. When you look at feed and residual, I think ethanol's going to come in, add expectations, and I think exports are going to exceed expectations. Personally, I think we we do bring this U.S. corn carryout closer to 1.1 billion bushels. They're showing a 2.57 right now. But, um, you know, what we're going to trade now is is weather sure. for next year's yep. crop. Yep. Is, is Asian swine flu a thing of the past? or is How much is the, the, the hog herd coming back? Everything, so all the data you get out of China is really hard to believe. Yeah, I believe it. But yeah. I believe that they are sophisticated enough and they have put in the right procedures and they're rebuilding their hog herd. Every time things get too expensive, they're going to flash this African swine fever thing in our face to try to drop prices back or drop a little bit of, you know, um, I guess basis back a little bit, and then I think they'll come in and buy a little bit mm-hmm. in the near term. I mean, they are crafty buyers, and they're good at using those things to their advantage. And so, I do think that it's an issue. But uh, with food security such a major issue now, and the Chinese seeming to focus on it, I really think that they're going to do a really good job of quarantining, isolating, and having the best you know procedures in place to keep those giant hog hotels mm-hmm. far, far, far away from. Any potential contamination. How about short-term ethanol demand? I mean, ethanol kind of, um, it, was, it, was a, it was a rough year for ethanol producers here the last 12 months. Are they out of the... Out of the, the That's correct. I mean, the, the hardest thing with ethanol plants today is can you buy the corn? Sure. Yep. So if you can find the corn, I mean, you're seeing just 
huge basis numbers being paid. I mean, I think we're, we're option here in Eastern North Dakota today, and I think there's some overs being paid. So the question is, is, you know, the ethanol producers making money right now, everything leads to believe DDGs have a reasonable value um, as a feed ingredient and, and the actual ethanol, these guys are back making money. However, yes, they did have a really tough 12 months with COVID and shutdowns, less gasoline demand. Um, they had a Chinese competitor in an export program that was importing a lot of corn. Um, I think 20 million met ton. And so you have more competition for the raw material you're buying and you right. have less miles driven. Now, I think through PPP and some of these governmental programs, some of these guys ended up, you know, getting through it and going, we haven't seen a lot of places, you know, file for bankruptcy. So, you know, today, if they're running, they're making money. Mm-hmm. The question is going to be in July and August, can they find the corn? I don't know if the corn's going to be around. Some of these places in the Dakotas and the Western Corn Belt, I, I don't think the corn's going to be there personally. Mm-hmm. So I think they're going to struggle to import corn and still make ethanol. Maybe they'll do a longer shutdown than normal. But for the most part, the industry seems to be healthier. Um, great question because it's something we were all really concerned about through yeah. the whole pandemic is less driving, less commuting, less family vacations, and, and how much ethanol are we actually going to use? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's certainly uh, demand is coming back on on all fronts. How far out can you can you speak to demand for corn, wheat, soybeans into the first quarter of next year? After after obviously we're going to be watching yield, right? But how much? And and this particular supply demand report talks about ending stocks. How much demand can we predict after the harvest of two thousand twenty one? I think on the corn side, you have a, the best chance of predicting our corn demand is pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, you throw some exports in there, you, you know, depending on what the Pacific Rim is doing and where, where there's corn else to buy. So you can, you can be buying from Ukraine or South Africa a little bit. Mostly it's coming from Brazil and Argentina, but for the most part, we use most of our corn domestically. Right. We have a record amount of mouths on feed, whether it's, you know, poultry, beef or swine. We're feeding a lot of, you know, domestic animals and we're also driving a lot and using a lot for ethanol. I think one of every three bushels in this country goes to ethanol. So your, the corn side, the demand is big and consistent, but the production swings are big as well. So, you know, the difference between a trend line yield of a couple of bushels on corn is a lot of volume. The adverse to that is wheat. Sure. Especially the wheat we like, the hard red spring wheat. Right. As hard red spring wheat continues to build a premium over winter wheat, which we're seeing, especially in the last month, a lot, or Chicago wheat now, we're going to start having some mills ration back some of their use, and they're going to use more hard wheat and less or hard winter and less hard spring. So when you look out, the milling demand is really consistent, but there is some substitution that happens there. And as sure. these prices go up, we're going to price ourselves out of out of the world wheat market again, and we're going to be you know really caught short on exports. So yes, it's really dry in Central North Dakota. Yes, wheat could go to fifteen bucks. Yes. There's a lot of wheat and dry dirt right now in this state. Yeah. Um, that's a huge overall price issue. But if you just talk about demand, wheat is one of those things where a higher price does do a good job of rationing demand. Sure, it does. You can buy wheat from a lot of other countries in this world, and it's pretty substitutable. And even though you like spring wheat, you know you really need to like it. So we'll have to see how that plays out. And that's going to be a giant picture over the next 30 days, depending on rainfall. I did see it rained West River, North Dakota yesterday. Um, my argument is always to people, there's not that many acres from Bismarck to Glendive, Montana, and then down to the South Dakota border. That, that corner that got a lot of moisture, there's a lot of pasture, and I feel really good for those ranchers. Those ranchers really deserve it. But, you know, you drive through region North Dakota, there's a lot of grassland. And, yep. and that's really important for, for the, you know, 
for the cow calf operations out there. And I, I, again, those guys, I don't, I don't mean to undersell this, but there's probably more wheat produced in McLean County than there is in basically the Southwest right. quadrant in North Dakota. So when you're a, you know, I laughed a little bit when wheat futures were down Monday, but um, when you look out at what potentially could be a giant powder keg and, and that's it. And then you look at this report specifically, the USDA did increase production on, on, on uh, wheat in Kansas and Oklahoma, and they've been wet. So sure. you have more pressure on price from the hard wheats. It looks like production is going to be good. Acres is good. Same with the soft wheats. It looks like everything's in good standing. I know there's some dry sure. white wheat out in Washington. That's a small niche thing, but the, yep. you know that Kansas winter wheat crop is almost cooked. I mean, it's it's it's, it's baked. It's yep. it's been wet. They probably were top dressing nitrogen. I mean, it is probably going to be some of the better crop conditions we've ever seen on winter wheat. Yep. Acres are down from normal, but up from last year. A lot of those guys will double crop soybeans, and right. uh, you've got some interesting opportunities there. But uh, I do think that you'll see some pressure on the winter wheats, and the spring wheat is a does it rain across Highway Two in North Dakota? Right from high, from Regina to Highway Two in North Dakota, there's your corridor. There's where your big wheat production is. Um, and again, there's pockets around the state, but. Yep. That's where it matters. Um, not yep. that if your farm's not in that, it doesn't matter, but that's where the bulk of the volume is, and that's where it's the driest. So as you see that, like a day like today, corn's going to be down 22, but wheat's, wheat's not falling quite as fast. And uh, the minute we get next week's, you know, the two-week forecast, right? if you're in the wheat market, the first place you're looking is uh, from Williston all the way over to Crookston and north. You're right. trying to see where's that moisture coming um, and where's the plant conditions at. How about soybeans? Any anything of interest out of this report for soybeans? So soybeans, we, we we've got a carryout coming into this year of only 120 million bushels. Adversely, we we grind about 180 million bushels a month, give or take 20 million bushels here, just with our domestic crush. So that right. that signals we have one month supply or we're out. Right. We'll import beans from Brazil is is what we'll end up doing, or we'll have to hill some of these plants back and do some do some routine maintenance at the end of the season. Going into the next year, the glass is empty. So any export sale we make... Literally new, empty. Literally empty. Yeah. Any any crush capacity we add, any anything we do at this point, we have to produce. So it's going to put a huge premium on weather. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at over $14 futures for next year, um, we're up like... Seven dollar fees from last year on soybean yeah. futures year over year. I was just I was just talking to a, a customer the other day who was trying to decide to sell some corn or not, and we were two dollars and eighty cents for new crop corn. Now we're six bucks, give or take, and yep. we're uh, over seven dollars higher on soybeans. So, hmm. you know, the risk premiums there, and the risk premiums we need to produce it. And soybeans is the ultimate ultimate you know show of that right now. We're going to carry one hundred twenty million bushels in the next year, which is hypothetically nothing. Right. And uh, I think it's going to be sub 100, but at that point, you know, you're counting bin butts. If you think of just every bin butt in Iowa, that's probably 120 million bushels. But right. uh, we're going to carry very, very little in. Demand is really, really good for all oil seeds canola, mm-hmm. sunflowers, flax, strong, yeah. soybeans, yeah. strong. Oil seeds in general, we're not going to solve our oil seed carryout issue in the next two seasons. We're just not. You know, and anybody that grows oil seeds is, is going to have a longer tail than I think the starches. So you look at corner wheat, I think we're going to peak that out a lot faster. Sure. We can grow a lot of corn acres and a lot of corn bushels in a hurry, and we can do the same with wheat. Oil seeds are a lot more difficult to grow quickly outside of a trade war or something. But other than that, the consumption is really, really good. So on soybeans, I think, honestly, there's a lot of opportunity here. If out we get past a rain, one season even. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. If I'm if I'm a if I'm a farmer this year, I'm excited about growing oil seeds for the next three to five years. The demand is just growing really really quickly, and uh, it seems really really stable. Yeah. Yep. Where's that demand primarily driven? Dem- well, right now the the buzzword is California with the uh, with the renewable diesel. Sure. Just this new renewable diesel mandate, yep. and everybody and their brothers. You know, we're going to add a bunch of crush capacity to right. service that market. And whether it's there long term or not, I guess nobody knows. The meal is harder, but, you know, we can we can export some meal and jump over some stuff. And they'll probably add some more, you know, hog barns in the central part of the United States, a little bit of extra poultry. Um, and then the Pacific Rim. Sure. I mean, yep. we had a, you know, the Chinese had a, had a record import on soybeans last year. My guess is they're importing a lot of canola and, and canola meal from the Canadians. Um and they're pressing on a next crop year as well. Yeah, yeah, which which would show all signs that their 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 herd their herd their swine herd is back to normal, if not higher, uh, depending on who you ask and that what your ca- reporting is. That but California renewable mandate—it's not just your regular crush plant that passes the test. Am I right? I'm I'm not an expert on it. Okay. What I've heard is so there was two giant canola plants, like three hundred fifty million dollar cost plants. Cargill and Viterra are building up by Regina, Saskatchewan. They've announced those in the last month. You've got a soybean crush plant announced in Shell Rock, Iowa, which would be, I think, in the northwest corner. And then you have uh, ADM announced they're going to build in Spearwood North right. Dakota this week. And a lot of that is is oil, you know, oil based on, you know, um, shipping into this California renewable diesel mandate. So much of it has to be made by that. You've also seen, like, Love's Gas Station and Cargill are going to build a tallow plant to make to make this renewable diesel oil in Nebraska. So they, they can't, they don't just need oil seeds to make this. They can make it from some byproducts, you know, recycled kitchen oil. There, there's a million things, I think a million different oils they can use to make it. Um, and again, I'm not an expert on, on these, these refined oils, but I do know that the marketplace is looking at this as a new growth opportunity. And they think that we can sell one of that byproducts. However, when you crush these things, it makes, you know, the biggest volume is meal. So, yeah. okay, where are we going to feed all this yep. meal? Yep. In the past, the Chinese have always wanted to buy raw materials. The one thing with raw materials is you can store them a lot longer. Um, sure. The argument is that we ship wheat to Japan, not flour. Yep. It's a lot easier. These countries have a, in the past, they've had a cheaper cost of processing these raw materials, and they like to use all the products. So if you're crushing a soybean, in China, they're feeding the meal of their pigs. They, they're using they the want oil the for cooking, and they want the hulls. So they're getting all those products, and you can store the raw material longer. They can stockpile millions and millions of tons of soybeans, but you you wouldn't want to do that with soybeans. Can't do meal. it with meal. It's got yeah. a shorter shelf life. It can break up on you. I mean, there's 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 generally more issues when you look at refined products, and we're probably one of the most expensive places in the world to refine or build anything, just with our cost of labor and our and our standard of living, and so, you know break that all down, you can crush a soybean in Vietnam a lot cheaper than you can here. And so the the question the market has to answer for us, Patrick, in North Dakota, really the Western Corn Belt in general is, can the export market keep up with the crush, what the crush capacity wants to do based on this California mandate on oil, which is a question, honestly, I, I don't know, but yeah, I'm, right. I'm like obsessed yeah. about it right now. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, ADM's going into Spearwood and there's a lot of smart people that work there and the soybeans are here, but that's assuming the Chinese are just going to yeah. lay down and die and let these plants have the beans. So right. that that will be an interesting point of contention because right now 90-plus percent of the soybeans grown in North Dakota are going to the Chinese. Right. To assume that they're just going to go buy them somewhere else 
during that time of the year will have to remain to be seen. Right. I think it'll probably be a good blended average, but it, you know, I do think that it leads to more soybean acres and, and, and in the central part of the state. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's uh, it's it's a good thing for the North Dakota farmer. There's no question. It's a good thing for the North Dakota farmer. Competition's great. I yeah. mean, co- competition's great for your bushels, and when you're adding some value add, there's always opportunities there. But um, you know, you're you're. Uh, I guess a little bit self-fulfilling prophecy, your local elevator is also doing that too and and providing access to a lot of different places. So it's good to have a mix of both. We don't want to be too one-sided on each, but um, I think that that competition is going to lead to better prices, more consistent markets, and more opportunity long-term for for farmers in the whole Western Corn Belt. And on on that note, as far as new markets goes, this is probably a good time to switch gears here a little bit. you were interviewed in Reuters here uh, about a month ago uh, about the CP purchasing uh, the Kansas City Southern Railway. Tell us a little bit about that. So the 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 Canadian Pacific did put put an offer to buy it to buy the KCS. Generally, railroad mergers are frowned upon by right. the Standard Board of Transportation for monopolistic reasons. This was one that uh, is kind of new and unique. The the Canadian Pacific operates a little bit in North Dakota and and, and a little bit in Minnesota, but mostly in Canada. And so it would have been the first, you know, UMCA railroad that connects Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. And there's a lot of automobile traffic that moved from Mexico up in parts, and there's a lot of soybeans and refined products and actually North Dakota wheat that go that go right now into Mexico. So providing a more st- streamlined access would have given some new markets to grain elevators on the CP. If you're an edible bean grower, this would have been fantastic. Right. So CP made an offer, KCS board voted to approve and there's some some due diligence in between time the canadian national or the cn railroad uh made a better offer right. to the kcs and the <clears throat> the offer is, is definitely more money um the interesting part about that is the complexity of the deals with these railroads is hard because they have to approve it from a competitiveness standpoint sure where right now the cp and the kcs don't compete in the same marketplaces so that is viewed more favorably upon that. But so years ago, the BN tried to buy the CN. So the, the Burlington Northern tried to buy the Canadian National. And the price was agreed upon and everybody was fine with that. But the regulators said, no, you guys you guys have too much, you know, too big of a monopoly in these markets and these spots. And so they they did they disallowed it. So right. there's two there's two parts of the app or the onion or layers of the onion here. And one is right. price. You have to figure out a fair price for the shareholders. And then two, you have to figure out can it get by regulation? So the question is, did the CN just do this to make it more difficult for the CP or to get their right. butt, to get their <laughs> competitor to pay a little more, yeah. which, which, hey, touche. And then on the <laughs> other side, the, you know, what offer do they take or not? Now, if the, C, the CN doesn't operate in the state of North Dakota, actually the closest CN line, it, it runs briefly through like War Road, Minnesota, but there's not a lot of CN presence locally. So if this deal goes through, if the CP-KCS merger happens, you're going to have better access to, there's six big wheat mills in Mexico. There's a... Mm-hmm. A couple of big soybean crushers, and uh, really on the edible beans, there's that that can be a really big market for North yep. Dakota. Um, and the BN does serve that well now. I will say the BNSF does a great job. They're a fantastic railroad and partner. They do send a lot of stuff into Mexico right now. But again, competition's always good. We right. have an elevator on, in Harvey, North Dakota, on the CP, and I right. would love to send our wheat uh, to the same Mexican mills. I'm sending our BN wheat. I would Absolutely. love to do that. We have a great customer base down there and we love working with those guys um and so this would be a good thing for the state a new market a new market yep. new opportunities um 
Additionally, they would be able to get into St. Louis and the golf easier. So it, it'd help us get fertilizer back up to sure the central well. part of the state easier yep. too. So from an input standpoint, as a farmer, you want to see us getting your product somewhere more efficiently, hopefully cheaper yep. and back up more efficiently and hopefully cheaper. And it's our job to, you know, discuss with them on getting a cheaper part, but yep. overall it's a good thing for everybody yep. involved in the upper plains. If the CP bid wins this transaction. Now the BN is doing a lot of those things now and I want to be, clear they, they do do yeah. a good job of that but um again a rising tide rises all boats absolutely yeah I and mean, when will we know i mean obviously it's regulators could be a long long time right could be a long long time that's <laughs> right i i would guess by middle of middle of the end of summer we should know yeah yep. but their railroad mergers don't happen very often so it's one of those things where it probably takes like you know 1500 attorneys like a lifetime to uh if you're like into railroad uh, monopolistic law, you probably just set yourself up for life, but, um, or at least a windfall <laughs> couple of quarters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds super dry. I think, I think better ways to spend our time, but, uh, I do know that there's a, there's a lot of details to it. And then the STB will have to ultimately decide and there's all these old rules and, right. yep. and regulations. But, um, you know, what I do know is that I do believe that it will be better access for us to have, you know, direct access to another port and a growing middle class in Mexico is eating more meat, yep. eating more refined products. There's more pizza crusts and bagels being made in Mexico city every day. And U S milling demand is really stagnant on wheat. Yeah, it's we pretty really flat. aren't, we really aren't grinding any more wheat this year than we were five to eight years ago. Um, so when we need more growth markets on, especially hard red spring wheat, we want to sell a premium product into a premium market. That, that growing middle class is something we want to try to access. And it was it was mentioned here when we uh, when we visited with Grant Merring, but we can't grow soybeans on soybeans on soybeans on soybeans. We do have to we do have to rotate. So it's good to see the oil seeds uh, be so bullish. But we're gonna we're gonna need to pay attention to our our soil and and, and the long term health of our of our market. So something to note here: we're, we're sitting in one of the conference rooms in Arthur and and. Uh, Justin and I just spent some time uh, kind of establishing some fall fertilizer prices here for uh, for our Cass County customers. So on that, on on uh, on inputs, our, our bushel balance has been mentioned in other in other podcasts. Our bushel balance for the 2022 crop season has just started, and it costs you about 22 bushels of corn for your fertilizer for for buying fall fertilizer, and uh, and about 14 bushels of wheat. So. Um, it's, it, I know, I know when you call our guys and you hear our fertilizer prices, they're going to be higher than what you want them to be. But in relation to the price reset that usually comes in the months of May, June, July, every year, this is what it is. It's very, very similar. In fact, within a 10th of a bushel is what it was, what it was a year ago. So anyway, call us to learn more, but I wanted to make sure we, we mentioned that. So. Absolutely. It's a really good opportunity to look at how do you lock in some expense and some revenue for your farm. And if you have, you know, long-term rental contracts and you have a, a similar equipment payment and you have mortgage on your land and you can look at what those things cost, I think it's a good way of looking at bucketing your sales yep. and bucketing your revenue. And I think that within reason, you know, these guys know but are upset that, yeah, inputs are, are going to go up and that's something that we can kind of control and kind of not. So for the most part, you know, being diligent about covering some of those expenses. But if you are going to buy fertilizer at an inflated price, do think about selling some grain to offset that. And like I said, locking that in is a generally a good transaction. And they're, take, they're, take they're some kind of control of your margin. Take some control of your margin. Yeah, sure. I, I have a grower that uh, he ended up buying some CF stock and a little mosaic stock as a hedge against his <laughs> fertilizer price next year. So 
That's um, not a bad you know, idea. <laughs> in the days of Robin Hood, that is a new thing that uh, that people are doing. So I, yeah. I hats off to them. I mean, I kind of had to tip my hat and smile, and I wish <laughs> I would have done that. But better than mining Bitcoin, right? I guess. I I guess I we the, uh, these cryptocurrencies and everything about it, and the questions we get. There's never been a time in history where you have more access to more data and more opportunities. So it's uh it's just a kind of a wild frontier now. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Well, on that, Kevin, any final comments here on the supply and demand report from today? No, um, let's just keep focusing. What I will say is these monthly supply and demand reports are really important. Sometimes there's a lot changed. Sometimes there's not. The biggest report coming probably in the next 12 months is going to be what actually got planted at the end of June. Sure. So when we get total planted acres, if you're a corn farmer, do yourself a favor, do some homework call people elsewhere. It feels like a lot of corn acres did go in. It feels like maybe a record amount of acres did go in. So be a little bit aggressive on having some corn sold going into that report. I could see a situation where we print a lot of corn acres and then we end up uh, seeing a, a decent amount of price hit back yep, as coming as back there's a bit. moisture and acres going in the ground. So. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Sounds great. Well, with that, I think we'll, we'll sign off here guys. Uh, thank you all for joining us and we'll see you next time on the Arthur companies podcast. <laughs>